Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And there you have it. That's the show. Thank you. <laughs> hey, that was one of our better shows. I know. Yeah, they, see, there's nothing else you need to say except that, right? Yeah. Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France is here. That's me. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. That's and on him. the phone Dallas. and on the phone is our guest, Phil Spangenberger. He is uh, one of the uh, editors at uh, True West Magazine. He's... Uh, my God, he's done every damn thing there is to do about cowboys, and so that's why we got him here. You know, the funny thing is, he he teaches and talks about history. Yeah, but he is history. Indeed, indeed, oh. uh, he's been called the mod, that is the Buffalo Bill of modern times. He used to run a Wild West show, so we'll get to him in just a moment. But first, I got a little kind of cowboy history because this is the National Day of the Cowboy, and thank God that we're honoring the cowboys and the ranchers because their contribution to our history and and uh, their legacy and their heritage is just—it's too important to ignore. And it should be in every school. I mean, they shouldn't yes. let kids out of school until they know who Hoppy and Roy and Gene are. <laughs> you know, in Arizona, you used to have to take uh, uh, or uh, pass an Arizona history course before you could graduate high school. That's good. I think so. Yeah. Anyhow, this is this is what I got for you. This is a little bit of Arizona ranch history. The Sierra Bonita Ranch, established in 1872 by Henry Clay Hooker, in Arizona is Arizona's oldest continuously operating cattle ranch. It's located in southern Arizona's Sulphur Springs Valley. It stretches for 65 miles from the northwest section along the Galileo and Pinalino Mountains to the southeast end just west of the Chiricahua Mountains. It uh, is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. It's also recognized as one of the oldest cattle ranches in the U.S., and it was designated a National Historic Landmark in 1966, and that's for the National Day of the Cowboy. And, yes. and <clears throat> he already mentioned it before we went on the air, but just to warn everybody, Mr. Fanglenberger was a 2013 National Day of the Cowboy uh honoree for the Cowboy Keeper Award, and you know what? I think that's a good place to start. Phil Spangenberger, welcome to Voices of the West. Well, nice to be here. Thank you. Appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your Saturday and uh, spending an hour with us. So, where do you want to start? Hey, anything Western is okay with me. Nah, I like that attitude. You bet your boots. Uh, well, you, you you said you were down at some kind of uh, ceremony this morning. Uh, is there anything there you'd like to share with us or worth talking well, about? It, it wasn't actually a ceremony. It just uh, there's a group in uh, in here in Prescott, Arizona, called the Renegades, and uh, they get together and uh, and because it's National Day of the Cowboy, they all decided it was a good day to get to the palace. It's funny they usually do that on every Saturday, anyways. <laughs> but it's always great when you have a special excuse. There you go. And I had called a few friends and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to go down there and hang out. And uh, we all put on some uh, old-timey Western duds, uh, you know, and uh, just went down and had a drink and had some lunch and just, 
you know, every few minutes the tourists would come by. You can always tell in the palace, you know, the, the cowboys from the tourists. Tourists are wearing shorts and the cowboys are wearing uh, long sleeve shirts, vests and boots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, said, you know, they don't They're want to be confused for a truck driver. Yeah. Well, Bunker is usually wearing shorts, but today he is dressed in his nice jeans instead of his painting jeans, and he's got a black shirt on, and he wore his black hat. So, My I mean, best Bib and Tucker. I know he cleaned up pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to me, I look like a slob. I'm, yeah, you, you know, do. I, I'm but, just. But you look like Harry. I, well, see, I'm just trying to be a little you're comfortable. You're dressed for radio. Yeah, exactly. But that's okay. I, I, I'd like to be dressed up, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's the one thing that all four of us have got in common. We've all got a face just perfect for radio. <laughs> Indeed. So let's talk about your gig over at True West Magazine. You're the firearms editor there. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. And that's, uh, I write columns, uh, occasional features regarding uh, whether it's historical or, or the modern replicas of the firearms of the Old West. And then when they have a, a question, uh, maybe a, a photo from another article of a firearm, and they want to know exactly what it is, they'll often call me on it. Once in a while, they don't, and I see it's wrong, and I say, why didn't you call? <laughs> you <know. laughs> it makes your hair stand on end, doesn't it? What's your favorite? Well, yeah, you what, know. What's your favorite? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. What's your favorite black powder? Black powder. My powder. favorite black powder? Yeah. Well, I guess I'd have to say probably about three is um, this cold single action, mm-hmm. and then the 1874 Sharps Buffalo Rifles Ooh, I nice, like, nice. and the 73 Winchester, yeah. and of course the percussion, I like the 60 Army, Ooh, 1860 yeah. Army before. Yeah, I got Those a, about my- I got, I got a Remington Zouave uh, uh, percussion. And uh, holy yeah, mackerel, that is yeah. that's a sweet piece. Here is the black powder guy. I even got two powder. cannons. Yeah, I got cannon as well. So <laughs> used to do. Pi- all fun. Used to do pirate reenacting and Civil War reenacting uh, or living history. So that's uh, how you kind of got started, wasn't it? The Civil War reenacting. Yeah, I did a bunch of those, uh, mostly in California. Uh, they they do one. They used to be in Moore Park every year. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're still doing it. We moved here a year and a half ago, but uh, I was uh, being born and raised in Florida, I'm naturally Confederate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, after a while, I was riding a gray horse, and because of my age and uh, having a white beard, they asked me to portray General Lee, which was quite an honor. There you go. So I portrayed General Robert E. Lee for several years doing that and it was just it was a lot of fun i mean this there had about 700 reenactors a couple of teams of uh, horse-drawn horse artillery nice. they had ground charges and aerial explosions oh. um, i mean it it was real eye candy for the civil war historian yeah oh, yeah sounds great. arizona tries to put together its uh, civil war event uh, the the battle of picacho pass as they call it but in fact, there was oh, yeah. never a battle there. Uh, the Civil War compendium devotes perhaps a paragraph to it, and that's really about all that, ex- that happened. There's more people show up for the reenactment <laughs> yeah, than there than than actually, yeah. were actually there. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, oh well. 1862, yeah. Yep. yeah Bruce Boxleitner who used to ride with us on the Confederate side uh-huh. uh, in Moore Park there, and he'd often ride one of my horses and. Uh, 
I'd bring a couple of horses out, one, one for myself and one for Bruce, and we've been good friends for years, and we always had a lot of fun. We had Bruce on the show some months back, and yeah. seemed to remember him talking about <laughs> the yeah. fun you and uh, that you the two of you had. Uh, Todd Roberts, get in on this. This is your friend anyway, too. Well, this is this is. Uh, I'm a little just in awe. I'm sitting back listening to my friend talk, uh, who usually, um, you know, is not. Uh, I don't get to hear as many good stories when I'm with him. We usually just compare war stories of all the people that we don't like. But instead. <laughs> um, uh, instead, like I think a bunch we're going to talk. Women, right? Uh, yeah, right. Know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Phil, come on. Uh, we're like a bunch of old men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sitting on I, a big you know, horse with rockers, whittling and spitting. Phil, we have a rule on the show that is, uh, we never ask anybody to tell us a story about somebody they don't like, but we'd love you to tell us a story about somebody you really enjoyed working with, or you learned a lot from, or a funny story about somebody on a set or whatever the environment was? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I enjoyed working with Will Smith, and now nowadays I say that was before the slap. <laughs> <laughs> the slap heard around the world. Yeah, but, you know, he, he was a classy guy. I really liked him. And uh, a couple of funny things. He introduced me to the uh, director because I worked directly through him. I was his gun coach for Wild Wild West. He introduced me to the director, and he said, yeah, Phil's teaching me this. And he started twirling a gun, oh. and he dropped it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the director said, I'm not impressed. <laughs> so I took Will aside, and I said, Will, next time you do something like that, if you drop the gun, you don't expect to, but if you drop it, do a little jig and then bow, like it's all part of the act. <laughs> and he did it once again. And then another thing, he was getting ready to do a scene. We had been working, and we're on a set, and he had to go into the uh, train scene with Selma Hayek and uh, Kevin Klein. Mm -hmm. And he's got his, you know, his outfit on. And I noticed his trousers, the button fly was undone, a couple of the buttons. I said, hey, Will, he's not a country boy. And I said, hey, Will, your barn door's open. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, it's okay. And I, I, didn't, I said, okay, yeah, I'm thinking, well, maybe they're doing the European version or something. <laughs> the whole scene, he comes out and one of his henchmen, you know, one of his bodyguards is sitting there with him. Uh, and he notices and he says, hey, Will, your fly is open. And Will jumps up and he looks at me wide-eyed. Will, is that what you meant when you said my barn door is open? <laughs> I learn this country sayings. <laughs> oh, funny. So what is uh, what is a gun coach? What do you do when you're labeled well, a gun coach? Well, it, it depends on what the, uh, the director and the film calls for. It can be anything from a basic uh, safety and familiarization with a particular firearm. Most often with me, because I work on so many Westerns, it was a, a single-action Colt Peacemaker or a cap-and-ball pistol. Or, and I would teach them how to you know, uh, pretend they're loading with, you know, blah, 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 and, and how to handle it safely. I, I, if they had no experience with them, I'd, I'd just give them a very basic uh, kind of a precursor to uh, shooting and handling. Mm -hmm. But if it's called for him being uh, he or she, a uh, proficient gun person, gunfighter or 
whatever, then I might teach them to do a little spinning or, uh, you know, even if it's not anything like a show, but uh, like Ed Harris, when I worked with him on uh, TNT's movie of the week, The Riders of the Purple Sage, mm-hmm. he wanted to use 1860 armies. We went down to Stembridge Gun Rentals and went through a bunch and I, uh, different because they didn't know what they wanted, but they didn't want to use peacemakers because they said this is a little bit too early for that. And I found the two 1860 armies that had been converted to, to cartridge. They were original guns, all re-blued and everything, but they, they worked pretty smoothly. So I said, Ed, see how you feel with these. He liked them. And what I taught him, besides just handling guns in, in general, the old West guns, but I said, here's something you might want to do. And I tell him, like, when you fire the gun, let's say in the scene where he shoots the bad guy, I said, do a little reverse twirl, you know, just kind of twirl it, and then flip it around in your hand so it's butt forward, drop it into the holster, and as you drop it, flip it so the butt goes to the rear. Mm -hmm. And I showed him how to do that real smooth, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and... and, and I, when I watched the movie, I said, that was the money scene. Yeah. Uh, he really liked that. He said, yeah, that's good. And the, obviously the director liked it so much that they showed it uh, close up. Mm. You know, it went from uh, a view, a close up of him to just his hands doing that. So he did and not have a stunt. So he didn't have a stunt double doing that. That was him doing stunt it. Stunt hand. Or stunt hand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes being a gun coach means that I have to do it for them. I yeah. see. Uh, I've done that a couple of times, not too many. I'm happy to say that most of my students learn very well. Uh, I remember one time Patrick Swayze for Tall Tale, they called me. They were going to do some close-ups of him doing some twirling and things. And he said, I want Phil there. And I, you know, dummy me and said, okay. (laughs) I said, oh, no, Patrick, you're good. You don't need me. He said, Phil, come on down here. So I I learned never say no. So anyways, I went down there, and he did do it all himself, but he just felt better having me stand there Mm. that in case something went wrong, I guess he felt like having the teacher there gave him some confidence. Yeah, he could point at you and say, he showed me that. right. (laughs) Well, you know, you can... He was very good. There was a couple of scenes in that movie where they had problems with the guns because he was using Merwin Hulberts. They're not real common yeah. with, the, with the studios. Nobody makes replicas of them. And I found two double-action revolvers, and one of them, the double-action portion, broke. They didn't have a way to repair it. And I showed them how to do it dramatically using them single-action. And I said, try this, and it'll, it, it replaces what you were going to do before. And they did it, and they liked it. So, you know... Just being there and having ideas because I've lived with guns and they're just using them for the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the neat things. You know, we know things that we don't even think about until it comes up, you Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, what it does, too, though, is it gives the actor more believability because it, it, it shows proficiency. You know, that's, that's right. so important. It's, it's like it's one of the things that drives me crazy in the Westerns is you put an actor out yeah. there on horseback that can't ride instead of doubling them. I made my living doubling people, and, and I, you know, maybe I'm sensitive, but I, it drives me nuts when I see, because it, it hurts the actor's performance. 
Oh yeah, when they're riding a horse and they're bouncing higher than they're they're going higher than they are going forward. Yeah, and they got a death grip <laughs> on the on the saddle horn. You know, you can hear the saddle horn squeak, squeezing it so hard. And their arms are flopping like they're going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> Those are no, the best. a lot of them. There's uh, several gun tricks you can do, but it's it's not limitless. So when I was working on um, American Outlaws with Colin Farrell and Scott Kahn and a lot of other the, the whole James Younger gang, um, I was teaching them all the same thing because I didn't know what the director was going to call for, and neither does the director until they're shooting it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They're saying, you know, they might they might say, "Hey, so and so, you can do this. How about you know doing that? You know, like you're just lounging around playing with your gun. They, they might do that. They may not." So anyways, one day Scott Kahn comes up to me, and I had been working with him, and there was a 16-year-old kid. He's still working. He's a good actor, Greg Smith, Gregory Smith. And, and I was teaching him, and we gave them dummy revolvers and non-firing replicas of the 1860 Army Colt and told them, take it to their room and practice what I teach them during the day. This was at a cowboy camp down in, uh, in Austin around location. And Greg got really good. And Scott walks up to me one day. He says, I want you to teach me everything you're teaching Greg. I said, Scott, I'm trying to teach all you guys the same thing because I don't know what the actor, I mean, what the director is going to want. So I'm trying to teach you the same thing. However, Greg is 16. He goes back to his room and he practices every night. You go out and try to get lucky. <laughs> Great story. Hey, that's so true. we got to do our first commercial break. We're talking with uh, True West Magazine's uh, firearms editor, Phil Spangenberger, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France and Todd Roberts with you. We'll be back in just a bit. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank of Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. 
podcast. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. What's this about, Billy? I'm really anxious to get a hold of him, Ma. Why? He murdered Rusty Bradford a little while ago. Fiddlesticks. Billy Carson never murdered anybody. Has the sheriff been notified? Oh, that would take too much time and give Carson a chance to get away. But we have our men scouring the valley. Kind of taking things into your own hands, aren't you? No, just enforcing the law. This is the Voices of the West. Welcome back to Abel Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts with you. Our guest uh, from uh, True West Magazine is the firearms editor, is Phil Spangenberger. And uh, Phil, you uh, ran a Wild West show some time back, and I would love to know more about that. Well, um, I had performed in different shows and then uh, had an opportunity to put on an exhibition at the uh, what they used to call the Great Western Fair. It was a big firearms show, a gun show. Down started out in uh, uh, in Los Angeles, and then when that area closed down for you know, and they tore the place down uh, off Atlantic Boulevard there. Uh, started building homes there. Then we went to Pomona, but that got me started in producing a show because the uh, producer of the uh, the gun show wanted some sort of western entertainment. And at first, we put together a cavalry display. And uh, then I decided one year, you know, that uh, when Buffalo Bill was asked to put on a Wild West show in 1883, he thought, "Where do I come up with entertainment?" And then he realized. He was friends with Indians that could do their cultural dances, their traditional various dances and things, and uh, and the U.S. cavalry was nearby, and he knew a bunch of cowboys, and they could do you know bronc riding and trick ropes, and the the cavalry could perform with their sabers and revolvers and carbines, etc. So I thought, well, I can do the same thing with reenactors and uh, American Indians that I knew that uh, kept their heritage alive. And I started making calls, and one thing led to another, and I produced what I called the American Adventure Wild West Show. And it was done there. And then once in a while we would do it elsewhere. Uh, probably one of the bigger ones I did was uh, I was hired to do a thing at a, a big celebration called Cowboys, Heroes, and Friends. And I produced a Wild West show at Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede in Branson, Missouri. Cool. And that was pretty cool. We really enjoyed that. And there I had the instead of go ahead. I was just gonna ask, Phil, didn't you also do one in Japan or China? Well, I was part of a show. I that was Monty Montana Junior and uh 
I went to Malaysia. We went all up and down the coast of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur and Ipoh and the Penang and, you know, down into Singapore, uh, up in uh, Cotabaru, which was, uh, they used to call that uh, cowboy town because it was part of their, what they called their frontier. And that was in 1976. We were over there for 10 weeks. Came back, and a few weeks later, I found myself in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, <laughs> with Monty doing another Wild West show, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And of course, it rained for the first couple of weeks we were there, and we we couldn't do shows, but we went out and pouring rain because the camera, you know, the camera doesn't always pick up rain unless it's a deluge. Right. And uh, we would we did a commercial for the show. And everybody was freezing and soaking <laughs> wet, but I had to go out there and twirl these guns. And boy, I'll tell you, nickel-plated guns get pretty darn cold in the rain. <laughs> but we did that, and uh, oh, a couple of years. And then I was that was in between working for Guns and Ammo, and then when I went back to Guns and Ammo, Monty called again and wanted me to go to London with him, and I did. And. Uh, he wanted me to go to Kuwait with him one time a few years after that, but he was going to be gone so long I couldn't threaten my career with guns and ammo, which was a good, solid, steady job. Right. And I told him, I said, Monty, I can't, I can't afford to be to be gone that long. And <laughs> typical Monty, he said, Well, you know, you got to save up for these good jobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so you have Monty, you know, he, so you have he always had a way to. Talk you into some. Although I did not do that one, I I stayed with the magazine, which was I stayed with them until '96. Right, Twenty when years. The company right? was sold, yeah. and they told me it'd be more work for less people. Yeah. And and I just decided to do freelance, and that's when I started doing a lot of the movie work and mm -hmm. uh, you know things like that. So you have a pretty good idea of how difficult it was for Buffalo Bill to produce one of his Wild West shows. Yeah, uh, in fact, it's interesting. Uh, he he did a lot more than I ever did uh, in that respect because he brought livestock, and right, I mean, not, right. I'm not just talking about a few horses. He had buffalo. He had, I think, he had longhorn cattle and so on. And I know Monty had uh, one longhorn steer. He didn't <laughs> have any buffalo, but uh, oh. when we went to London. And we had an exhibition where a cowboy had to rope this steer. Well, about the third night out, the British thought that that was cruelty, mental cruelty to the steer <laughs> to have a rope. Oh, shit. So this gentleman from the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, uh -huh. he came out in a three-piece suit with an umbrella and a bowler hat. <laughs> and he backstage, backstage, he asked one of the cowboys, would you would you loan me your cowboy hat? And he gave him the bowler for a moment. He put on the cowboy hat, and as uh, the fellow roped the uh, steer, he walked out and hooked his umbrella over the, <laughs> over the rope and said, "There'll be no more of this." And it, it hit the papers the next day. They wow. they were cruel to animals and so on. That but uh, so they just cut that part out of the show. Wow! I say, with no more of this steer, you know, it, yeah. the, the poor beast. Look at his eyes. <laughs> Interestingly, when America got involved in World War One, Buffalo Bill wanted to donate his horses, a couple of his personal horses, to the U.S. Army, 
and they said, no, no, Colonel Cody, you you uh, you have a much more valuable asset that you could uh, devote to us. And he said, what's that? They said, we would like your plans for moving your your Wild West show yeah. overseas because you're the only one that's done that to such an extent with animals and people and yep. equipment. The American Expeditionary Force used Buffalo Bill Cody's plans to move into Europe. You know, the Germans sent people over to study how he did that. How interesting. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Because, you know, we've been talking about guns and stuff, and back in 2005, you did a little article about Ronald Reagan and the Gipper's boots and saddles, but it was a cavalry-themed wardrobe. And I know you're, you're highly regarded... Uh, for your expertise in wardrobe, and also, you know, you had your Red River Company. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about some cowboy uh, giddy-up gear. Well, <laughs> the, uh, as far as the saddle goes, they were flat-seat saddles. You didn't see the big, a lot of the big padded saddles that sloped to the rear. And uh, an old-time cowboy told me, he said, the, the old-time saddles, it was what we now call balance seat riding, and mm-hmm. it puts you over the shoulders of the horse where they can hold your weight and move more freely rather than leaning, sitting back uh, where, you know, you're, you're over there, closer to their kidneys. Yeah. And uh, this old-time cowboy told me, he said that uh, that came about around when the automobile started getting popular and people were spending more time in the in automobiles than in uh, than on horseback, and they they weren't professional riders and uh, so on and so forth. I ride nothing but old time slick fork saddles. I saw your pictures. Yeah, a couple yeah. of originals I've restored, and I always make sure I get horses with good high withers, so so it'll fit them nicely. And uh, but I tell people to me, there's nothing more comfortable. It doesn't matter if if you have you can have all the padding in the world, and if you're not sitting properly, you're going to feel it. You may not mm. feel it on the bottom of your butt, but your 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 muscles in your back will feel mm. it because you're inside your around. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like these big heavy bowling silver saddles. You know they're great for parades, mm. but the same cowboy told me they used to call them. A lady's saddle, no matter who rode it, because it took three men and a boy to saddle, and only a lady can get that kind of help. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like the old knights in armor. You you get a winch and, and wrench it up there. Yeah, somebody. that's right. Yeah. There's big, big percherons and draft horses, and they were, they were hoisted up into the saddle. And if they ever went down, they were down for keeps. <laughs> but well, then, you know, they wore their shaps if they were in uh, any rough country with... Uh, you know, chaparral and, you know, cactus, things like that. Uh, their their hats were flat-brimmed. And part of the monologue I used to do when I was doing a stage act for the Wild West shows is that the old-time cowboy spent most of his waking hours on out in the open, so he needed a good wide brim mm-hmm. to keep him free from the, uh, the harsh elements, the sun, the wind, rain. But nowadays, a cowboy with these curled-up hats that's that's practical too because they spend more time in a truck, and with that you can get three cowboys in the front seat of a pickup. <laughs> yeah, make sure you sit in the middle so you don't have to open the gates. 
That's right. And if a guy has only one side of his hat curled up, he's either from Australia or he sits by the window. And if not, he's going to have that cur- both sides yeah. curled up by the time the journey is over. Oh, yeah. Well, that's you funny. know, uh, I, I, that's right. You know, you mentioned the uh, Rose Parade, and you've been part of the Spirit of the West Riders for what, going on 20 years now? 30. I 30. did. Uh, wow. I did my last Rose Parade. I decided last year, or this year, was the last one, oh, okay. uh, January 1st, because we live in Arizona now, so it's a lot more problematic for me to get there and, and haul a horse, etc. So I rode uh, a friend's horse, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed the parade. I would love to continue doing it. But at my age, it's getting a little tougher. You know, in the parade, you don't move much. <laughs> and after about five hours in the saddle, if you can't move around or you know dismount for a moment and bend your legs, you know, you just lock up, and it gets tough. But also, I caught COVID in that Rose Parade. I don't blame the parade. It just this it, it happened. So my wife says, oh, don't go back, please, because it almost did me in. It that honestly was, did. That was a rainy day. My <laughs> wife saved me by giving me plenty of doses of of the uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. All the things that the government tells you don't work <laughs> saved me and a bunch of don't oh. listen to him. There you go. All right, we got to do our next commercial break. We are talking with Phil Spangenberger. He's an editor at True West Magazine doing the firearms thing. And he's done a lot of other things, too. But uh, we'll get to all of that stuff when we get back here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Do stay tuned. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some Cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchman to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but blank henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you 
need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Docs to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent a hench when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. I'll give you $10 an acre better than top price for that section of yours in 43. I couldn't take that, Mr. Jode. I'll throw in a corner business lot right here in Red Dust. I couldn't do it. That would be selling out the rest of the settlers. That is some good business, Mr. Hardy. Let the other settlers take care of themselves. Perhaps Mr. Hardy has a code that he'd like to live up to. I'm talking business with Mr. Hardy, my friend. Call me Stevens. I couldn't choose my name, but I can choose my friends. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Animal Frenzy's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Robertson, Los Angeles. Our guest, True West Magazine uh, firearms editor, is Phil Spangenberger. And, uh, you know... We can't pick our friends, but we can sure have Phil Spangenberger. You know, there you go. And, 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 and I, I love that. But, you know, I, what I want to do here is uh, get Todd back on... But first, I have to do some snappy stuff here. There we go. You want go. me to talk? No, I don't need... You want, no, want Phil to I talk? I mean, you know, well, hey, anybody can talk. Oh, okay. uh, what I wanted to do was uh, write, uh, talk about a uh, letter or an email that we got from a, a listener um, in Massachusetts, Gary, uh, who... Oh, good. He, he's a... He's a former reporter, television reporter, and uh, he, he went, now, wait a second. Oh, he's a good, good, good guy. Good guy because he likes Westerns, right? Oh, he is a good and, guy. And so we've been uh, emailing back and forth stuff, and uh, uh, he, he uh, the movie that I reviewed in the newsletter, the, the B to C, is uh, uh, Buster Crabby, Frontier Outlaws, uh, Frontier uh, Buster and uh, Fuzzy Jones, and he mentioned how he met Buster years back and got to interview him cool. and he said it was a great interview and he we got talking about charlie king and he couldn't visualize charlie king what so yeah well so i sent him two pictures of charlie king so oh you're a good you're a hell of a guy harry i'd question anybody that yet doesn't yet can't recognize charlie king well you know it, it just, but, he, uh, but he just needed he just needed he just needed a nudge a nudge to, yeah. you know to, to put it in there it's Charlie King, the greatest, one King, of the greatest. King of the heavies. King of the heavies, one of the greatest heavies there has been. And one of the funniest. And one of the funniest. Yeah. So, uh, Phil, I got to ask you a question. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, with all of your travels and all the different things, you've, you've, you know, so often you've probably said to yourself, well, I've seen it all now. And... What might you tell us is that anytime you think you've seen it all, you see something you've never seen, and you go, well, now I've seen it all. <laughs> so if you have one of those stories for us, because you, you're, you're, you've been everywhere and done everything. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, oh, I, there's so many funny little incidents that happen, you know, and uh, 
I know, uh, and, and this is not like a scene at all, but like you've heard it all. We're working on one of those Wild West tech series uh, for the History Channel. And the production assistants there, a lot of the camera crews, they don't know much about the West, and but they, they know camera work, you know. And so we're, we're in this little Western town, uh, and across the street from us is a, it says assay office. Uh, you know, and Westerners know that's where you get your gold mm-hmm. weighed and evaluated, et cetera. And the production assistant said, Phil, you know all those Western terms. What uh, What is assay office? Uh, what is it? Is that where you get your hay for your mules? And I said, assay. I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> No, I mean you hear the darndest things. They, 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 one of them asked uh, an English director wanted to talk to me about vice in the old west, and I explained it was basically the same problems we have here, but just different things. You know, the drugs were different, and the gambling games were different, and so on. He said, "What were the gay bars like?" <laughs> oh, I, I want to know what your contribution was to the Bordello Tech one. Yeah. To, to what now? The, the, the what? The one episode, the Bordello Tech. Oh. What was well, your contribution? I, I, well, I kept the girls busy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't tell them yourself, though. So, yeah. So, uh, so no, yeah, we had a funny thing on that. We had one one actor, uh, a fellow that I'd hired to be one of the cowboys in it. And several times during the day, the director asked me, he said, Phil, get get that guy to keep quiet. I hear him on the on the microphone when we're filming. He was flirting with one of the gals, and I talked to him. I said, look. Just kind of keep quiet, you know. And he, oh, 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 we were just talking. Finally, the director said, separate those two. Well, <laughs> the girl wasn't, you know, she was kind of innocent, but he kept hustling her. Finally, they had this scene towards the end of the day where they were talking about the transvestites. Oh, no. And, oh. and they dressed a, a young man up as a saloon girl. And this guy looked he looked pretty. <laughs> and they said, we want a boy to sit on, the, on that one's lap and get friendly, you know. And it was, a, you know, it was a harmless scene, but he's supposed to be getting friendly with him, maybe a kiss or so. And then the, uh, the cowboy dressed, or not the cowboy, but the man dressed as a saloon gal reveals by pulling off a wig. Mm-hmm. So I called this. I said, hey, I got a scene for you. <gasps> and he said, oh, great. <laughs> And boy, they got it in one take. It was so such a shock to him <laughs> when they, when the guy revealed that it was another guy, and that was everybody got a big kick out of that, you know. And well, knowing Cowboys, that was, I, he's, he'd never lived that down either. No, well, you know, I, I said, hey, you like to you like to deal with the women. I've got a great scene for you. <laughs> you so, up. Phil, um, your all some of your adventures that not too many people know about is all your hunting in Africa, and I'd love you to tell a story there if you have one to share. The hunting in Africa, yeah, well, we've been over there. I've been fortunate to be over there three times. Uh, South Africa hunted there, and then uh, right up near the uh, Botswana border, I hunted in Botswana in '95, and then in 2013 we hunted in Namibia, and uh, I took uh, several head of game using old-time iron sight rifles. Wow! The one I'm most proud of is uh, 
a pretty good size, about 2,200-pound Cape buffalo that uh, usually you want to shoot them out in the open. And then you hopefully you stop them before they go into the bush because yep. they'll they sneak around you. behind you and charge you. They, they're pretty nasty. Robert Rourke, the famous yeah. uh, New York columnist and African hunter, he said, Cape Buffalo look at you like you owe them money. <laughs> and uh, anyways, uh, we, were, we were hunting for them. And long story short, we wound up in the bush in high grass. It was taller than us. And uh, we saw five, what they call a five buffalo, uh, call a bachelor herd, where they're just by themselves. And I made a shot. He was running at 18 yards. I mean, that's that's next to nothing. Yeah. And he was running, and I took him down, and he ran out into the open and turned back and started coming at me. And I had been running out into the open and out of breath, and I fired but I was breathing too heavy, and the bullet just zinged right under him, and he stopped. So I reloaded real quickly uh, to make sure I had two rounds still in the, the gun. And uh, he started coming at me again, and by then I was able to control my breathing better, and I hit him in the top of the, the leg, the bottom of the shoulder, because that's what you want to break the dangerous game down, You want so they can't come at you. And he went down, and... Then he got up again because I was out of ammunition by then, and I, I reloaded. Uh, I had one in the hand and one in the belt, but this time he ran from side to side, you know, instead of at me. And then he piled up and and when we when we butchered him and brought him back into camp, one of the uh, black uh, men in the camp there, he was like the camp boss. He ran out in front of us in the Land Rover and made the sign with his arms, made the sign of the curled horns and clapped his hands. And I said, what's he doing? And the, the professional hunter said, that's the sign of the bull. And he's real happy they're going to have biltong for a year. <laughs> biltong is what they call, what we'd call beef jerky. Ah. But they don't, they don't season it. They just cut it in strips and let the sun dry it. But they trade it and they eat it and so on. So... Uh, they were real happy. We gave them meat for a year. And they make good chili out of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you know, it's so neat you said that, because I remember as a kid reading all those stories about Africa, and they all said the same yeah. thing, that the, the, the Cape Buffalo was the most dangerous of them all. Well, you know... Other than the big... Yeah, they, it, it's the most dangerous of the plains game, and that's all I ever hunt. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not against any of the other, but I, I don't have that kind of budget. You know, you're talking twenty, thirty thousand oh, dollars to shoot. Uh, well, you directed big, one over there, uh, African Adventure Safari. Did you direct more than just one? No, no, not me. Oh, that's right. But, uh, I, I, I come across the, it. It has credited it to you. And said you were in the cast and you directed it. Uh, and you were the cast. <laughs> you were the. I'll come up, maybe. IMDb. That might have been a video we put out. Yeah, that's what ago. it was. It was a video. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was my first one in South Africa. And we visited a Zulu village, and that was really. That was a lot of fun. And that's the way I forgot about that one. But. Uh, yeah, that, I've got that's on VHS. I got to get that transferred to digital just for my own enjoyment. Yeah, <laughs> looking like back at it, you know. And, 
But uh, it's interesting over there. You know, I came back and I, people said, what's it like? And I said, it's real Western. They didn't <laughs> understand that. I, what I meant by real Western is it's wild and woolly. Yep. Yeah. You okay. know. Yeah. That's awesome. You're not at the top of the uh, of the uh, chain. meal chain. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of, of in the, the meal chain. You're kind of in the middle there, mm-hmm. uh, snacks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're every gonna... night it, we were in a tent camp, and every night I'd hear this whoop whoop, and I, I was sleeping uh, next to the uh, zipper front. You know, the animals respect that zippered uh, screen front of your tent, ah. and I, I had my double rifle next to me. And it was—it's a replica of the 1878 Colt double rifle, which mm. only a few of them made. Mm-hmm. And this replica was uh, in 45-70. And I picked it up and I punched a little that hyena in the nose, and he went wow. whoop, whoop, and went running off. <laughs> but every night they'd be looking into the tent, you know, and but they wouldn't come through that screen. But boy, I'll tell you, it makes you think about it. I reckon. All right, we're going to do our uh, last commercial break. We are talking with True West Magazine firearm editor Phil Spangenberg. Yes, this uh, hour has gone very, very, very quick. We'll be back with much more on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and dogs.
donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Come right in, gents, and check your guns. You check your guns here. Not my guns. Oh, we can't make any exceptions, boys. Two gunmen are too valuable to kill each other off. I'm hungry, Joe. It's all right. Everybody else has checked. Well, you can do it, Blackie, but I'll get my groceries elsewhere. I never heard of a gent starving to death in a settlement, but I know plenty of parties has died from a bad case of empty holster. This is the Voices of the West. I'm Emil Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, our guest, Phil Spangenberger, uh, True West ed- uh, Magazine uh, Firearms Editor. Before we run out of time... Well, I just wanted to pay homage here to our Hawaiian oh, cowboy yeah. brother. Yeah. Before we run out of time, I want, I want to honor Phil for his contribution to cowboy mounted shooting he yes. was one of the founders yes he was uh, he was a, a champion his wife linda is a champion and uh you know if if he's remembered for anything at all and it should be a lot of things definitely for that for what the contribution he did to and it's one of the fastest growing sports yeah still. you kind of you kind of invented it well actually you know i was doing uh, exhibitions for many years, and I used to have trouble getting people to ride in Wild West shows and shoot off their horses. And at one of the end of trail with the single action shooting society uh, matches, uh, they used to shoot off a barrel, you know, that looked like a horse. And and I said, you guys want to see what it's really like to shoot <laughs> off a horse? And he said, oh yeah. So I said, I'll do some exhibitions. Well, my friend Jim Rogers, who I'd met through end of trail, I knew Jim was quite a horseman. I said, Jim, why don't you watch what I do? I think you'd get a kick out of it. And he watched, and I, I kind of planted a seed because he liked, he used to do shooting from horseback just for fun. And then he realized that by using blanks and balloon targets, it can make it a safe thing for a spectator. And he started thinking of it as a competition rather than an exhibition. So, uh, you know, Jim really created it as a sport. And I was brought in early on uh, to uh, help finalize the, the original rules and things. And uh, I'm proud that I was the inspiration that that caused Jim to create it as a sport. But Jim Rogers is the one that really 
made it a sport. And he'd be a good one for you guys to interview sometime. Yeah, sounds I'd love good. to. Give, give, him, give him our number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in, in terms of single action uh, uh, sports shooting, uh, Todd has talked about that numerous times. And I understand you are a big uh, SAS shooter as well. Well, not so much a SAS shooter. I, I shot the first couple of times, first couple of competitions, but um, it, when I was working at Guns and Ammo, it was like a busman's holiday. I'd, I'd <laughs> yeah, work really. arms all week, and and I have my horses, you know. So at the weekend, I'd have to, you know, if, if I was going to do that, I'd be shooting again. The horses would never get ridden. <laughs> so I decided that uh, I would support it in any way I could, but it just wasn't for me. But when cowboy mounted shooting started, I thought, okay, now I can shoot and ride my horses at the same time. And it's amazing how it took off because the first year, 1994, we had something like 60 people compete in our so-called championship then of course they in 92 they had it was like two people but by 94 when the cmsa which is a cowboy mounted shooting association when that started uh there's something like 60 65 people now it's up to i guess it's pushing 18 to twenty thousand members oh, yeah. and probably you know a, a great portion of that are active competitors because okay. you, you get uh Three generations, you yep. know, yep. Uh, the parents, the children, sometimes the grandchildren, yep. or the grandparents. Yep. It's you know, it's a, a sport where any gender can uh, compete in any age group. And the ladies excel. Yes, they do. Well, you know, you. Yeah, well, my wife won a bunch of them when she was doing it. I won a couple of divisional awards. I remember one time, uh, Linda. You know, she had all these buckles from state <laughs> championships national world and everything and she said oh let's let's compare buckles and i threw my two down and said i'm done so Phil, and i sat three minutes while she's pulling them out okay here's this one how funny yeah a little upmanship yeah. there phil we're almost, in her to shoot though yeah we're almost out of time uh favorite well actually what what's coming up for you next uh, aside, yeah except uh, aside from working for true west and, and all the other goodies that you're doing uh let me think uh well i've got to go back to los angeles and do an appraisal on some civil war guns and artifacts for a Ooh. doctor back there nice i'll be doing that and uh I don't have any shows. I'm pretty much retired, but if somebody comes up with something interesting that I can do, you know, me and my horses, I'll probably be riding in uh, the Fort uh, Camp Verde Parade. There you go. That's a, you know, that really amazed me. When we rode in it, I thought, well, this is going to be a little tiny town. No, no, but, no. Boy, <laughs> thousands of people there yeah. it is a tiny town but yeah. people show up from all over we were really amazed yeah. we did we did a parade last year in dewey it took longer to saddle the horses than to ride the parade <laughs> <laughs> favorite favorite western that you enjoy watching yes. never have any question about that the searchers yeah, you're yeah. Number i love one. it right. yep, yep. Oh, I yeah, love that show. That'll be the day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Phil, uh, uh, Phil is also a good friend and worked with our friend Thel Reed, who's right. also a show, uh, a guest of the show and a friend of the show. Right. So if if you have any parting words for Thel Reed, tell him all well, those all those mistakes, to, uh, all those mistakes that the actors make when they're uh, when they're being coached. 
uh, it's all Thel Reed's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, keep your powder dry. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I've watched Thel shoot too many times. I will never say anything against his shooting. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Now, I'd like I hear to start. Yeah, that story right where, you know, you want to draw me, me draw down with my live ammo, yeah. <laughs> All right, Phil, thank yeah. you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it, man. This is one of the fastest hours we ever I know. Had. I know, it's and, great. And we got to have you back uh, just for whatever reason. We need to have you back. And, you know, and he's just yeah, up Todd, the You need to get out here to Prescott again. We're all waiting for you. All right. Oh, well, nice. that's so kind of you, Phil. I appreciate it, and I promise you we will go back. Uh, to the Palace Saloon and try to offend as many people as possible. And when Todd makes his way up to Prescott, we'll probably join him as well. And you know what? Yeah, that'd be for great. That'd offending be great. people and for Todd is real easy. <laughs> Comes naturally. <laughs> it does. Phil Spangenberger, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, amigo. That's all for this time. Thanks, Next thanks, time we thanks. get together on Animal Frenzy's Voices of the West, it's going to be Movie Saturday. I have no idea what the topic is. But... L.Q. Jones. Oh, L.Q. Jones. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, 78, 79, 80 mounted shootings. Oh. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.